You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Padres Social Hour. I am Padre broadcaster Jesse Agler, and thank you for being with us on what I believe is a Tuesday evening. Got a fun show coming up. Had a good time last night, not only on the show, but a little while after watching Game 1 of the 1998 National League Division Series Padres and Astros on Fox Sports San Diego. Padres, of course, won that game 2-1 to one behind Kevin Brown, who outdueled Randy Johnson. That was Great baseball and really fun to kind of watch that game again last night. Game three of that series, the first game at home for the Padres on tonight on Fox Sports San Diego. We'll talk to Steve Finley in a little bit. Of course, he was front and center, literally center field for all of that coming up in a little bit. Very happy to be joined today by A.J. Casavell of MLB.com, who is not a future general manager. And Annie Heilbrin, who uh, covers the Padres and all things San Diego from all angles, it is a pleasure to have you both. Annie, how are things in your world? Jeff, great to both. Actually, even everything is great. It's just who knows what day it is anymore, right? We just wake up and rinse. I'm taking shots, AJ. There's a reason why. Yeah, my uh, my general managing skills are very, very good, and I think we'll all. I think the the audience will agree in a few minutes once we get once we get into our first. I believe it's our first topic. Yeah, let's dive into it. Why don't you why don't you set up for everybody exactly uh, what went on and, and try and be as objective about this as possible? Yeah, so I'll try not to drag you too much because you were kind enough to join us on MLB.com where we did a uh, all-time Padres draft. And we did uh, basically the format was we're just playing one game of baseball. And the talent pool is every single Padre that's ever played for the Padres at their Padres peak. So you're allowed to draft like Mike Piazza or Greg Maddox if you want, but you're not getting them when they're their Cy Young caliber or MVP caliber kind of selves, you're getting them later in their careers. So it's just the Padres at their peak. We left it kind of open-ended from there. We just want the best Padres of all time. And we just drafted kind of schoolyard style, you know, I mean, you get first pick, I get second pick. And we went from there and you took Tony Gwynn number one, which was the easy pick. And then after that, I think things got pretty, pretty fun uh, straight away. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. So you have been asking people on social media and at the end of the article, which, of course, people can find on Padres.com to put their opinions out there. Which team is better? Hashtag Team Agler, hashtag Team Casabell, which is more difficult to spell. You might be losing some votes there. Uh, but uh, what, what, are, what are the early results telling us? Well, the early results are wrong because they have you at about 60-40. But I haven't gotten to make my, my case on Padres Social Hour just yet. So I, I drafted Kevin Brown number two, and I thought I'd get a little bit of a Kevin Brown bump or see in like the ultimate Kevin Brown game last night in the uh, in the um, uh, NLDS 1998. I, I really thought that Pete Kevin Brown was as good as you get. And then, then of course, you took Randy Jones a little bit later. It was kind of cool for me, I think, with the, the game theory of it all. Like you took Randy Jones probably later than you would have if it were a three-game series because you knew that I didn't necessarily need him, even though you scooped him up maybe one, one pick or two right before I was about to grab him as like a lefty long man out of the bullpen. 
Yeah, so here, here's my lineup. I've got uh, Hall of Famers one through three, uh, including a couple of tremendous table setters with Robbie Alomar and Tony Gwynn. Uh, then here comes the Thunder, I believe is the way I put it, with Winfield, Vaughn, Machado. Klesko is batting sixth. You mentioned Finley. As it's Benny Santiago hitting eighth and Ozzie Smith, another Hall of Famer, batting ninth. Then obviously Ozzie Smith, the Padre, not necessarily the same guy as Ozzie Smith, the Cardinal, uh, playing by your rules of this game. But I think I could take my nine, eight, seven and put them one, two, three and still have the better team. I really do. Like, I think that's how confident I am in my abilities. And you're right. Kevin Brown was an absolute monster in 1998. It was one of the best pitching seasons any Padre has ever had. Um, but again, with those two table setters at the top of my order, I, I feel good that we could get to Kevin Brown, make him work, maybe get him out of the game a little bit early. Did you know A.J. Caswell in his career against Kevin Brown, Robbie Alomar, was a 393 hitter. He went 11 for 28 yes. with a couple and Gwyn of. Gwynn was 423, right? I think I think Gwynn was 423. So you're getting on base, but those guys aren't going to hit the ball out of the park against Pete Kevin Brown. And then you've got to have Greg Vaughn, Dave Winfield, righty on righty. I just like my chances there. I like the way the righties, I mean, you stack the whole middle of your lineup with right handed batters against Pete Kevin Brown, which is not. Just not a smart move. I like my I like my top of the order too. Fred McGriff's on base percentage while with the Padres is as high as anyone else in this list, tied with Tony Gwynn. Fernando Tatis, we know what he does on the bases. And then Caminiti Sheffield, those are like all time RBI threats. So you have the deeper lineup. I'll concede that. But I have Kevin Brown, Trevor Hoffman against all those righties you got in there. So let's turn it over to Annie. Annie, who's who has the better lineup? No pressure. At first, uh, at first I was gonna go with Jesse. I hate to say it, Cass. By the way, if you can't remember Cass's name, you just have to say Cass is something. I don't know how to spell it. That's a that's a Tommy Pham joke. But <laughs> um, but now I kind of I don't know. Now kind of Cass, Cass kind of sold me on his a little bit, his lineup a little bit. So I think they're both really good. I think the whole point, right, is like to pick on the field at the same time and looking at those names. I mean, you know that that's the baseball right there. No doubt. Just if you even pluck three of them out of there, like you said. Yeah. That's that's the cool thing about it is like the different eras and getting everybody mixed in. Uh, but am, am I correct, AJ, in basically saying your strategy is you're putting your eggs in the Kevin Brown basket? Is that kind of what it comes down to? Yeah, that that's what it came down to. Obviously, it took him number two. He's not the second best player in Padres history, but his peak and we're playing one game of baseball. You want an ace on the mound. That's why I took him. Um, I will concede your strategy of drafting four outfielders threw me off a little bit. I thought I had time to take Steve Finley because I think Steve Finley's peak in center field was was probably way better than any other peak in center field so I was planning on taking him but I was planning on letting him drop a little bit because I didn't think you'd go for him that early and and that was a sneaky good pick and fittingly we have Steve Finley on the show later today so uh that being said I still have I still have Kevin Brown I still have Trevor Hoffman and I'm very happy with those with 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 that pitching staff and and I like the middle of my lineup too yeah, it's fine. It's, it's it's good. There's talent. There's obviously talent, but I, I think my team blows your team away. Put mine up also. It's not just offense, of course, and pitching. It's also defense. Uh, if you look at my position players, so take out the DH, Craig Vaughn. Uh, of the other eight guys up there, Ryan Klesko is the only one not to have won a gold glove. So I am playing stellar defense, <laughs> top to bottom, all over the field. You're going to put the ball in play against RJ, of course, but it doesn't matter. Uh, because Robbie Alomar, Steve Finley, and Ozzie Smith up the middle, for goodness sake, forget about it, man. You got no shot. Yeah, it's good defense. And I I like the kind of cohesion with with Randy Jones. Like, you want the guy putting the ball in play versus I have the strikeout guy. My defense is nowhere near what your defense is. But 
I've got the, the thump in the middle of my order. I know you say here, th- here comes the thunder, but the thump in the middle of my order is as good as it gets, I think, from, from three through six. And I, I, the way I see this game playing out is a tight 1-1 ball game. Get to the ninth inning. Fred McGriff walks it off. Fernando Tatis scores from first on some, like, blooper that, that falls in. <laughs> Something weird. He could be the X factor. Yeah, he, he certainly could be. Are we playing in the uh, 2019 run scoring environment or are we playing in like the what 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 environment are we playing? Because that could have an impact on people's opinion. I, I don't we didn't go that far into it. And we also don't have a bench or anything like that. So got to make sure these three pitchers last and that there's no pinch hitting for anyone. No, there's no pinch hitting at all. All right, Annie. Uh, I feel like you you waffled. Where are you going? Just tell yeah, us. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I gotta say. Although I think Cass has made a really good argument, I have to hand it to AJ for because he has some really really good points. But Jesse's Jesse. I gotta give it to Jesse. And also, he's got he's got Tony Gwynn in there. It's just you know it's hard to it's hard to do anything after. So he does have like a you know having that first pick. I think that that gave him an advantage. Also, I really like both of your guys's like manager photos. You know. I think that's like a nice, it really, it looks legit. You should like uh, print that out and hang that up on your walls. All right. People can go. I will happily hang up the winning lineup on my my (laughs) wall. Can we simulate this thing like, you know, 500 times, like do a simulation of uh, these lineups and that stuff. And one of your nerd friends must know how to do that. To be fair, the premise, to be fair, the premise was one game. So in theory, we just simulate it once and let it happen. All right. Well, you never know. Very high variance uh, with a one-game situation, but that's the fun of it. That's game seven or a, a one-game playoff, as, as we know too well around these parts. All right. Uh, they can check it out on Padres.com. And how are you tabulating the voting agent? I'm just tweeting at you and you're doing it on your own honor system? <laughs> it was a tw- I put up a Twitter poll underneath the uh, original oh, okay. one. So that's uh, so far, I think it's 60-40 to you. And I will acknowledge the fact that I was I was kind enough out of the goodness of my heart to give you the first pick and give you Tony Gwynn, which I'm sure sways a lot of people. But on my team's still better. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I'm gonna go vote. I didn't realize you would put it. Here it is, Team Agro. Oh, darn. 272 votes. I'm up 63 percent to 37. If you round. Oh, a little bit. that's a heavy lead. 60, I can't believe 63 percent of people are are fine with three right-handed bats in the middle of the order against. I need, Kevin I need Brown also to read, Trevor Hoffman. I need to retweet this so that my people start seeing it. I was gonna say that scientific Twitter poll, you know, being on AJ's timeline. <laughs> Super accurate. Super accurate. Uh, that's fun stuff, man. That's that's fun stuff. Had a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, having me participate. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for doing it. It was. It turned out probably more fun than I thought it was even gonna turn out. I think we had a lot of fun just kind of sitting down and I like that 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 feeling like when you took Steve Finley and I think you stole Benito Santiago from me. That was like real fantasy draft disappointment that i got and i didn't know if i was really gonna take it all that seriously but turned out i did yeah no i, I mean better, anyway. to give people like the behind the, the scenes view of the thing is like we did it like jj had a google doc going on saturday or whatever so we like sat there and typed in real time you know back and forth and like the competitive juices were flowing i'm not gonna lie <laughs> like, <I> was... <laughs> you felt a little sting right when he took your guy you know absolutely yeah. there <laughs> Steve Finley picks what gets me because my outfield is my outfield's good offensively, but it's it's not going to play any defense. I think I said in the story that Tony Gwynn's totally finding a gap at least once or twice and turning that into a triple. Yeah, especially because he had 423 in his career against Kevin Brown. Well, do we know what Greg Vaughn and what? No, I guess Dave Winfield wouldn't have faced him. But do we know what those uh, guys did? Got, yes, I, I did check all of them. I, I omitted a couple. Uh, Finley hit 263 against him with a couple of doubles. 
Uh, Klesko, 216, but a couple of bombs. Uh, and Vaughn, 205 with a homer. It was a smaller sample size uh, for Craig Vaughn. But top of the order, those guys both hitting about 400 against him in his career. Well, I mean, this is Pete Kevin Brown we're talking about. So then you lower that a little bit. But like I said, <laughs> I'm willing to concede those guys are going to get on base. Alamar and Wynn are going to get on base and then strike out, strike out, ground ball. I love how you're just blowing over Dave Winfield, like one of the greatest. <laughs> like, he's, like, <laughs> like he has no shot against Kevin Brown. He's Dave Winfield, for goodness sake. Hey, you watched you watch the 98 Astros against Kevin Brown last night. Those guys have any shot? There's like two Hall of Famers in that team and three or four other Dave Winfield on that team, Matt. There was no Dave Winfield on that team. Craig Biggio ain't Dave Winfield. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, All right, moving on. We're going to get all fired up. Uh, Vote on AJ's Twitter. Uh, You can check it out. I like to picture you guys sitting there with a Google Doc, though. Like, that is good baseball nerding out during the quarantine, you know? It was, like, super nerdy and super enjoyable. I got a a text from a buddy that said today, it said, great content. You guys are such nerds. So I like I take that as like a really, really good compliment. Exactly right. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, speaking of nerds, a special hello to Mike Farron, uh, Sirius XM. He texted me an awful picture. He's watching. What's up, Mikey? Join the chat. Join the chat, Mike. Um, all right, moving on. We mentioned 98 and uh, more on 1998 coming up in a little bit. Certainly uh, today would have been Ken Caminetti's 57th birthday. Uh, one of the most impactful Padres of all time, of course, and on AJ's team. Uh, any opportunity to show these highlights, to talk about this guy, uh, to kind of relive these memories is obviously well worth it. We'll talk to Steve Finley about him coming up in a little bit as well. Uh, but, Annie, I don't know uh, that there are a lot of guys, uh, you know, on the other side of Gwyn and Hoffman uh, that pull at the heartstrings of Padre fans the way this guy does. Yeah, and I mean, you watch these clips, and you're right, Jesse, any opportunity to play these, and you remember just how impactful he was with the Padres, and then I always remember just like, you you know, everyone has their demons, and players are no exception, that it's always a reminder, too, that these guys are going through a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we sometimes know about, we sometimes don't know about, Um, and it just, I know that a lot of fans, when they think about Caminiti, like, they really have a a great soft spot in their heart for, for him, which still lives on today, you know, and for what he was to the this Padres fan base. So I think you're right. I mean, it's, I think it's a great opportunity to acknowledge him and remember him and just remember the impact he made in San Diego. And just the fact that, you know, like everybody, he had to battle what he had to battle. And a lot of times we talk to these guys and they're not invincible, you know, they're dealing with things just like the rest of us. And so just a good reminder on that as well. AJ, you do a lot of work, obviously, going back into Padre history, talking about the different accomplishments, the different seasons. You talk about his MVP year in 96. I mean, it, it stands way up there. Yeah, I put it probably as the best non-Tony Gwynn season in Padre's history. Maybe you put that Brown season up there. Maybe there's there's a Dave Winfield season in there. But the 96 season was really incredible. And for what he kind of did from both sides of the plate, uh, like he he was his, – his peak with the Padres was as good as it got. And the – Coolest part is that the peak re- coincided with probably one of the best eras in Padres history, the team that won the 96 division and then the pennant in 98. So he, he got to kind of have those big moments, those really impactful moments when they really, really matter too. I think uh, the one that stands out for me that I've gone back and watched a few times recently was the uh, home running game one of the, a- of the NLCS uh, against Atlanta. I mean, that was an all-time great Atlanta Braves team and Caminiti essentially kind of stole the initiative from them in Atlanta in game one uh, with the extra innings homer and so uh, a lot of big moments uh, a really really impactful player at a really really impactful time in the franchise's history 
not coincidental either, Andy. I mean, you, you talk about that and that great run that they had, and obviously he was kind of at the center of the whole thing. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. His great years with the Padres, just like AJ just said, were, you know, part of the reason the Padres made it to where they were during those few years. And just the fact that he had so many personal highlights during that time and so many personal accomplishments, but at the same time, the team was going through that great run as well. And so, you know, I think that for him, he was, as far as everything that I know, a great teammate, a great guy to be around. Um, I think that it's just, again, it's something that, that Padres fans look fondly upon. And it was a time when just the city was electric, you know, I mean, you see the fans there in those stands, I get chills watching that just because I remember those moments, those games for San Diego and how much they meant to that fan base at the time. Yeah, it was just so fun to watch. More on that, certainly, with Steve Finley coming up a little bit later. AJ, I've always had sort of a a theory of team building uh, that in order to build a a championship contender, you need to have a couple of guys who I would describe as MVP-ish. You know, not necessarily the MVP of the league, but like in the conversation or at least on the periphery of the conversation. And and if you're not going to have more than one, then you need somebody to go absolutely nuts, you know, and have that crazy career year where, where it's all over the place. And, and we got to see kind of all of that from Ken Caminetti in the 90s. Yeah, I think when you face those Padres, you look at that lineup and say, oh, man, we got to we got to deal with him. We got to deal with him hitting behind Tony Gwynn. And that's that's instantly that's instantly just trouble for the other team. I like I like to think of sports kind of in that sense and like if you're playing against this team who makes you roll your eyes and go oh shoot like this is what we have to deal with today and Ken Caminetti who could do it from both sides of the plate and who could play brilliant defense he could kind of do it all and so that's why I mean in our game he's totally going three for four with homers from both sides of the plate and <laughs> he's, he's covering that 5.5 hole so the Tony Gwynn did hit 423 against Kevin Brown but maybe he steals one I don't know. I don't know to be able to elevate against uh, Randy Jones. All right. Uh, moving on to the question of the day, which, of course, is the question of every single day. And uh, today it is provided. Uh, we'll just choose one at random by Jack. Uh, Jack wants to know, when does baseball season start? Jack, wish I could tell you, man. Uh, we obviously continue to not have an answer to that question. Uh, it, it's going to be about health and safety. And until those things are figured out, you can't jump too much into the logistics of uh, what the baseball season might look like. Now, of course, there's a lot of people impacted by that. It's very easy to think about the players, um, but it goes well beyond that, as the three of us can attest, certainly. Uh, but then you start talking about coaches and scouts and people who work in the front office. And some good news uh, for the Baseball Operations Department of the Padres. Yesterday, Kevin Acey of the Union could be the first to report uh, that those folks uh, would continue to be employed through the end of the baseball season, no matter what happens with the baseball season. Um, and I think this is, A, just one of the things that kind of makes me Proud to be uh, someone who works for the Padres and is around this Padres organization. But anyway, when you start thinking about, again, the people who aren't, you know, the, the multimillionaire players and stuff like that, yeah. this is a, a great way to kind of be kept at ease. I mean, this is a sigh of relief for a lot of these guys. And like you said, they aren't making a lot of them that for them to, you know, take a year off. I think it's a, what the partnership group did. And it just lets these guys can pair, can still forward, and they're able to just kind of rest assured knowing that they still have their job. AJ, I guess the other element of this is, you know, we all know AJ Preller has spent a lot of years now putting together a staff in terms of on-field folks, off-field folks, behind-the-scenes folks he's really happy with and excited about and being able to keep them all sort of in-house 
uh, it probably is, is a pretty decent advantage when you consider the chaos that might be out there around baseball right now. Yeah, and we don't know what's coming, but I'll, I'll answer Jack's question by saying, in, in some respects, it's always baseball season. And in, in, in that light, like if you frame it that way, there's still work to be done. And there's still, I mean, within the organization, life goes on differently, but life goes on. And, and there's, there's, there's work being done and, and for the Padres to kind of assure employees that they'll be paid to the baseball season. That's a big deal because, as you said, they've, they've built a staff that they really like and would like to reward for their hard work all this time. And obviously it's a difficult time. Obviously, who knows what's going to happen over the coming months, but to have a little bit of stability is a really important thing. Yeah, very much so. So in the meantime, uh, we continue to follow baseball in places like Taiwan uh, and South Korea, and we will continue to do that because the KBO, uh, the league in Korea, will get underway officially on May 5th. There was a great Twitter thread uh, that I saw this morning, and it kind of got my creative juices flowing a little bit. Uh, This guy, I think he's uh, at Baseball Brit. He is obviously a British person who at a time lived in South Korea, and that's kind of when he turned into a huge baseball fan. He's a really good follow. And so he's saying, hey, Pick a team. Uh, and, and let's keep this one up for a second. So as we get ready for 2020, and again, they're scheduled to start on May 5th. Um, these are the 10 teams in the KBO. And I started thinking, Annie, AJ, maybe we pick a team here on Social Hour and we like kind of make them our own and, and we follow them day in and day out. Just a little update, you know, maybe a minute or two every day uh, to, to keep track of them. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's always fun sort of picking a, a team from scratch. I think a lot of people, you know, in this country have done that with like the Premier League for soccer in England. Uh, You know, we sort of just got to choose a team when we were teenagers or young adults or whatever when we started following that. Um, And and my general sense would be don't go for the Yankees, which in this case is the Kia Tigers or like Liverpool, Casabelle, something like that. That's lazy. You know, it's easy to select one of those teams and say, all right, Kia Tigers, 11 titles. Let's go with it. So if I were to break this whole thing down, look at this list, does anybody jump off the page to either of you? I, I need to I need to butt in there and and rebut that comment. Literally, the reason I picked Liverpool is because they weren't Chelsea or Manchester United, and at the time I knew very little. But yes, there is a team that jumps off the page for me. I will take the NC Dinos, if you will, yeah. only because they have a cool jersey to buy. They have like if I were to buy a Twins or a Bears or an Eagles or a Giants and like rock that around San Diego, I think no one would really kind of turn their heads. They just assume it's the football team or the baseball team or whatever. So I want like the team that gives me the coolest. The, the most unique, coolest look. So I'm taking the dinos. Sorry if that was either of your pick, but I wanted to make sure I got that out there before okay. before you get with it. Annie? You know what? Uh, this is becoming really sneaky. Uh, well, just real sneaky, you know? Uh, the way he kind of butts <laughs> in. You know what he's doing. I was going to take the dinos for probably yes. the same reason. Hey, we could both but, be dinos. <laughs> I'm going to go with the heroes. I mean, that's a cool name too, you know? I, I don't know if I know exactly. I don't want to butcher that name. Uh I don't know. I'm going to go with the heroes and I like that we're going with underdogs and you know, it's a good, that's a good strategy. I think, you know, take the under underdog team. Although Jesse, yeah. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I'm definitely there on the underdog status and, and the NC dinos has always kind of been the team that's most in my mind from the KBO. Exactly. As AJ said, it's just the name. It's cool. Yeah. Like, Hey, who doesn't love dinosaurs and be even cooler that they shortened it to dinos. Um, so that was kind of like my knee jerk one that I wanted to go with. However, as we started kind of reading more about this this morning, I realized uh, that one of the newest members of the KT Wiz, also mm-hmm. a great name, by the way, is one of my favorite Padres of all time, Odrisa Mare Despagne. So for me, 
Kind of a similar thing. No titles, underdog, cool name. Maybe not as cool, but still cool, the Wiz. And Despagne, there you go. He's on it. Eddie's on it. I mean, I, I think I got to go team Despagne. Like, if I'm going to root for one of these teams, the fact that I know one of the guys on one of the teams and we know him as a fan, I feel like it's a big uh, a big help. I don't think they're very good, but I, I like that. I There's like the Wiz too. in the empty dino jerseys, yeah. Yeah. OD's a good pick. I like that one. That's a good pick. Can I can I convince you guys to come on Team Wiz with me, or you want to stick with the Dinos? I'm I sticking mean, with the Dinos. All right. I'm not the hero. You saw that. You saw that jersey. It is. It is really <laughs> cool. So some good little uh, facts about the KBO, and again, they're going to get started uh, hopefully at least on May 5th. Uh, the league was formed in 1982. Ten teams uh, in eight different cities. They play 144 games of the Universal DH. They do not play beyond 12 innings. Uh, top five are into the postseason. Cheerleaders and cheer master. And uh, as baseball Brit says, a lot of off speed, a lot of sidearm, a lot of bunting. And most importantly, a lot of that, a lot of bad flips. I like it. I like it. We're going to have some fun with this. So we'll, we'll follow these teams. Um, uh, I'm adopting this Spanier's club, KT Wiz season. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into the KBO as much as we possibly can in the time ahead. That's what we got. Uh, we also have a lot, obviously, in this community uh, taking place that is beyond baseball. We try and remember that uh, with some regularity during these shows. Uh, our friends at Cutwater Spirits, uh, Earl Kite, Yusef Cherney, um, tremendous guys, tremendous members of this community. And that company has uh, kind of a unique position because they have a distillery. And as you're about to learn, a distillery is good for doing more than making Alcohol. It is also a way to turn said alcohol. I'm going to butcher the chemistry, so I should just shut up, but into hand sanitizer. And uh, that's exactly what the folks at Cutwater have been doing as of late. Had a chance to speak with Youssef and Earl a little bit while a little while ago this afternoon about those initiatives and how they're getting this done. Well, gentlemen, thank you both for joining us. Uh, nice to see you. Glad to hear family is uh, safe and healthy so far. Obviously, that's the, the number one thing right now. And at Cutwater, you guys are helping out with that here in our San Diego community. Uh, I read a couple weeks ago, maybe a month at this point. Nobody knows how time works anymore. Uh, you guys were converting part of the distillery uh, to make hand sanitizer for nonprofits in San Diego. First of all, that's uh, phenomenal. Thank you for doing that uh, for uh, our community how difficult of a thing is that? Where did that idea come from? Maybe take us through the, the decision-making process there, uh, Yusef Anderl, yeah. All right, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, basically, the thing that a lot of people, I, I think, don't really understand is that distillery is already set up to operate to handle flammable aspects like that. the things that go into a hand sanitizer. And it's primarily about 80% ethanol, which is, uh, we're real comfortable dealing with that here at a distillery. Um, we have a special room that's called an H3 room, which is hazardous location room that's got explosion proof motors and mixers and everything uh, as far as the tanks go with um, everything's geared to handle this type of product. So the jump from making a, a beverage grade alcohol to a hand sanitizer isn't as large of a jump as it would be for a brewery or somebody uh, that's not used to dealing with these explosion uh, aspects of the high proof ethanol. So the, the move uh, was really quite easy for us to do. We, we luckily, we, uh, we received the recipes from the FDA and the WHO, and they were very clear cut on, you know, being an ethanol mixture with uh, hydrogen peroxide, glycerin and water. And um, we were able to denature the product and 
get it out there quickly uh, and donate it out to um, you know the local uh, food bank and the San Diego County and uh, fire department, police department, and pretty much any nonprofit that uh, we can get we can get it out to. So from a technical standpoint, that's like fascinating to me and incredible that you guys were able to spin that around as quickly as you have. Do you have any sense of, of how much you've produced? We see the bottles there. It looks good. Yeah, we're, we're probably reaching uh, 25,000 bottles and we've made different sizes, you know, from uh, eight ounce all the way up to 64 ounce and uh, trying to just use our employees that we have in the restaurant to get it out to the different donation sites. We're, we're, we're not, we just want to make sure uh, we're clear. We're not accepting people. Uh, walk-ups, um, everything's being donated through distribution hubs um, because we don't want to expose our workers here uh, to any kind of outside uh, folks coming in to pick up products. So we we do not allow pickup here. Uh, we get it out to distributors um, and we use our own in-house uh, folks to get it out uh, to these points that then can be distributed out like the food bank and SDE County. No, it's uh, phenomenal. You mentioned the food bank. I know you guys had a big event kind of planned coming up in May uh, involving the food bank. Everything gets uh, not necessarily put on hold, but at least altered. What are the kind of stuff do you have in the hopper right now in terms of the community? Not that you are doing enough with the hand sanitizer because that's really sensational, uh, but but maybe give us a, a sense of what else you guys got going on. Yeah, well, the, you, you, you so yeah, from the standpoint of the, uh, of the food bank, um, what we did is we turned around and we donated uh, 50,000 meals um, and really utilizing them for the hand sanitizer distribution uh, trying to get it to anybody that's on the front line that, um, you know, can be exposed. A lot of older people, uh, you know, that's a big thing. And then any first responders, uh, the food bank is really helping out. Very nice. Uh, I see a new bottle or can, I should say, pardon me, uh, on the table there. That appears to be Padre Colors. I don't know if, if folks at home can see it. I got pinstripes, I got gold, I got brown, and I see the word Padres. Uh, this is uh, new at Costco, correct? Well, it's, it's hitting a bunch of different retailers. Um, okay. We'll be hitting Costco. Uh, and you got your SD logo on the back, right? Looks pretty cool. Um, you know, we've had a marketing relationship with the Padres uh, since we started Cutwater three or four years ago. And we've just kind of dialed things up a little bit. Um, I mean, they're fantastic to work with. Uh, and, you know, if you take a look at what we have going on inside the stadium, uh, it's solid. This just kind of brings it outside the stadium a little bit more. Really cool. How much you miss being inside the stadium, like the rest of us? Like beyond belief, I yeah. uh, I refer to Petco Park as my as my southern office. Um, I'm I'm there if there's if there's a homestand, I'm there three out of four games. So. And we we see you there. There I can I can back up what he's saying. Uh, Earl, you and I were at an event together over the winter. Uh, you told the story of the logo, and I'm a kind of a, a branding geek. Uniforms, logos, everything like that. I uh, love the Cutwater logo. I mean, you could you know tell that story for everybody here, kind of how that came about and, and everything that it represents. Yeah, if you take a look, I mean, I can kind of get it up near the camera. The uh, we have that that kind of bird-looking item there, and if you take a look, there's a that swoosh on the top. That's actually a bird. It is a black skimmer, and a black skimmer uh, has a uh, nickname, and the nickname is a cutwater because it swoops down and cuts the water and gets bait fish. The V that's underneath it. This is kind of difficult to do. The V that's underneath it is actually the bow of a ship. And old shipbuilders would refer to that as the cut water, right? And then when uh, Yusuf and our team in the back uh, makes spirits and they, they uh, have a distillate, they have to proof it down to put it in a can or a bottle. And when you proof it down, what do you do? You cut it with water. So we kind of have, uh, that's where our logo originated from. And 
I don't know, we love the name Cutwater. It kind of keeps the nautical theme for us that we've had with uh, another company we used to be a part of. Yeah, no, it's it's stellar stuff. All right, so we see the new uh, Padres Mule. Yousef, anything else uh, coming up that perhaps uh, we could uh, be excited about in the future? Well, we're, we're hoping to get uh, the restaurant back up and running um, so you guys can come in and taste what we've got here, uh, as well as the stadiums and all the venues you know associated with that. But uh, we're doing some delivery um, out of the restaurant right now and going to our website. You can access that delivery service. Um, and we're allowed to deliver our not only our great food here, but also uh, cans of cocktails and liquor bottles yeah. as well. So you can order some food and get some delivery straight to your house. It's about a, I think about a 16 mile radius. And uh, I think their times are, are shooting about 35 to 50 minutes, something like that to get uh, out there. Um, we also do our merch uh, available through the delivery service. So um, I know there's a lot of folks that aren't trying to make it out in the world and uh, they can get, you know, the comforts of uh, what we have at Cutwater directly to them. So uh, great stuff. And uh, not only with the, the food and the beverage, uh, but now the hand sanitizer as well, producing that for nonprofits here in the county. Uh, Yusef Earl, thanks for all the work you guys are doing to, to help keep us safe here in San Diego, and uh, also for the delicious things that you're in charge of. Uh, great to see you both. Hope you uh, continue to stay healthy and uh, that we can all kind of push through this thing as quickly as possible. All right. Excellent. There you go. Oh, thank you. Look at that. That's, <laughs> that's a partner right there. Supplies you with a little bit of hand sanitizer. <laughs> he, he saw me touch my face is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Yusef Cherney and Earl Kind of Cutwater's Spirits. Uh, great members of this community, big baseball fan, especially Earl and, uh, the hand sanitizer thing. I, I just think that's so cool to be able to, you know, like say, all right, we're going to, you know, switch some of our production resources, uh, from A over to B. And when A is a delicious cocktail and B is a hand sanitizer, that's, that's just a really remarkable stuff, Manny. Yeah. You know, I actually did a story on them for the Union Tribune and, um, and when they first started doing this and they said one of the hardest things was trying to find the bottles, like trying to find the the things that they could put it in because there was such a shortage people were trying to find find them to to do the same thing that they're doing so i just think it's cool when you have a, a business in san diego that can step up like you said and help people out and you know they probably never thought they'd be making hand sanitizer but people have gotten really creative during this uh this pandemic yeah and i especially think it's cool like i think all of us have probably had the thought like what can we do to help? And a lot of the answer is we can stay home. We can stay safe. We can stop the spread. We can do everything we can do that's in our power. But to have an opportunity to be able to make an impact like that and then to like seize it and and use use kind of your platform and your your regular job to to kind of make a little bit of a turn and do something different that can help pretty much everyone out. That's that's huge. Yeah, that's remarkable stuff. Really cool. And uh, hats off uh, to everybody at Cutwater working hard and uh, continuing to produce uh, a lot of stuff for uh, this community. Uh, AJ apparently loves to be yelled at at Twitter because not only did we have this story today where we drafted teams and uh, put together our all-time Padre lineups, but you've also continued your series of uh, the top Padres at every position. And today was a fun one. Shortstop. A lot of excellent options here. I personally was very pleased with uh, your number one, but why don't you take us through the list? Yeah, I went Khalil Green, number one, Ozzie Smith, number two, Gary Templeton, number three. And I think anyone out there could put those guys in any order you want. And I'm not gonna I'm not, not gonna gripe with it. I, I think it comes down to personal preference. I believe they're one, two, three in the order I had them in Fangraphs War, but three, two, one in that same order on baseball reference war. They're all hmm. right there. They're all neck and neck. It's I mean, it's really close. 
I go with the elite peak. And I think Khalil Green had the probably the best peak of all those guys. Ozzie Smith was obviously he was a wizard defensively. That's literally how he earned that nickname. But his offensive numbers in San Diego, he just wasn't as productive as he would be elsewhere. Gary Temple did it for a long time. Like I said, it comes down to personal preference. And I go with the peak. I think Khalil Green, and I went back and and did some research on it. And I'm just kind of baffled at how he didn't win that 2004 Rookie of the Year. I think if if that vote is held now, 15, 16 years later, analytically, we pretty much choose him uh, way over Jason Bay. It might almost be unanimous. But uh, yeah, he's my guy at the top. But I'm not going to begrudge anyone who has any of those any of those three guys as their number one. Andy, when you go back and watch Khalil Green highlights, what are the first things that pop into your brain? I just think about how great he was. I mean, he was so talented. You know what I mean? And he's another one that, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, maybe maybe didn't always, um, the potential wasn't always, you know, realized. Um, but he's just so talented. He was just so able to get on there and, and, and produce for the Padres. And he was just so good. But um, I remember he was another one that just kind of got the fans going, you know. Um, I give it to Gary. If I ain't starting, I ain't departing Templeton. But mostly because he was, he was in San Diego for so long. He was so good for San Diego and San Diego was good for him at the time. But I like AJ's list a lot. I think it's a good, good one to think about. Yeah. First shortstop inducted into the Padre Hall of Fame, Gary Templeton. Also, I mean, you talked to everybody who was around the team in the early 80s and they say that trade. Uh, that sent Ozzie Smith to St. Louis and brought Gary Templeton to San Diego was one of the absolute like critical things uh, that got the organization going on the field and kind of launched them towards, uh, you know, the, the pennant in 1984 that without Gary Templeton, I think I've heard Bill Center say this a thousand times, without Gary Templeton, they don't win, you know, the, the National League pennant in 1984. So he, he's up there for a lot of good reasons. It's a very good position. It really is. You see Tony Fernandez. Uh, and, and, and Fernando obviously on that list as well. And who knows where he'll be when all is said and done. Um, but a lot of nice names over the course of uh, Padre history at shortstop. And just seeing that right there, rookie of the year finalist last year, uh, guys, all, all it does is make me think what, what may have been had Fernando stayed healthy in 2019 and was able to play the entire season. Yeah. And I had him at number five. I think he's, I, I would give it, I say over under two years, two seasons, worth the baseball, he's probably, he might even be number one because, I mean, I, I think all three of those guys, Khalil Green, Ozzie Smith, and Gary Templeton have their place, have their niche in Padres history, but their peaks were shorter and they probably, none of those three did what Fernando Tatis did in 84 games in his rookie season. So I'll, I'll put him, my money is on him becoming number one in the in the next couple of years. You wouldn't get a lot of argument from a lot of Padre fans. I, I know we can say that. More on Fernando coming up in a little bit. He was back in action last night in that Players League, uh, playing MLB The Show, and uh, bringing highlights uh, to it, as he does, it seems like, with everything else uh, that he does. Time now, though, to continue to uh, think about 1998. Uh, last night, as we mentioned, Fox Sports San Diego replaying Game 1 of the Division Series against the Astros. Tonight, they are replaying Game 3 as the teams came west from Houston with the series tied 1-1. And a wonderful excuse, if you will, to catch up with Steve Finley, talk about all of that and more. AJ and I had the opportunity to do so just a little while ago.
Vince, always great to see you, uh, no matter the venue, although I believe this is the first time we are video conferencing and therefore the first time I've gotten to see the uh, actual gold gloves above your shoulder. Uh, that's just like the ultimate power move. We have all these Zoom backgrounds and different things, and uh, he's rocking out two of his five gold gloves behind his head. Not bad at all. Uh, first of all, uh, good to see you healthy. Glad to see you and everything like that. Uh, a lot of us were watching that first playoff game from 98 last night, Kevin Brown versus Randy Johnson. A 2-1 Padre win in the Astrodome. When you rewatch that game or when you think about that game, what's the, the first thing that comes back to you? I mean, one, how loud it was, uh, both on the mound and in the stadium uh, with both Randy and and, and Kevin pitching. Uh, you know, you can kind of tell when a pitcher has got his stuff. And, and Kevin Brown from the first inning that night had his stuff. I mean, you knew it was going to be a lockdown night. Uh, you know, you, we had to try to scratch anything we could off Randy because uh, he was just good on the other side. When you are facing a guy like Randy Johnson in a playoff series, game one, how much of like a psychological edge is there to being able to come away with a win in that game? I mean, huge. I mean, especially in a five game series, the first game is typically the, the most difficult and uh, the most needed uh, for the team. The team that wins that first game typically goes on to win the series. And uh, especially when we're on their turf. Uh, you know, you know, you're going to have to face Randy coming back again uh, at some point if it goes that long. And uh, uh, to get that first game there on their on their turf uh, was a huge uh, psychological boost. Yeah, it's quite the path you took to get to that 98 pennant. I'm just wondering kind of what do you remember about that Astros team and then that Braves team just in terms of, I guess, how much firepower they had and kind of how you guys were able to stifle them both from the start? Well, I mean, you know, once you get to the playoffs, everybody's good. Uh, you know, and the Astros made the blockbuster deal to bring Randy over. I think he went 10 and 0 in his starts there. So knew who you were getting in the first game. Uh, but we had our horse as well and, and Kevin. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a it's going to be a match. I mean, the, those guys had a good team and, and in short series with the Braves. They were just always good in the 90s. Uh, you expected them to be around. Uh, uh, but I don't think their pitching staff, I think, struck the fear in us like uh, like more having Randy leading off of the Astros. And, uh, you know, once we got to the Braves, uh, we felt pretty comfortable. Now, uh, a good piece of Randy Johnson Astros trivia we found out last night as well when they acquired him uh, that summer. They did not have any baseball pants that fit him, so they gave him an old pair of Bob Scanlon's pants. Uh, Bob had been up with the Astros earlier in the 1998 season. Uh, on Fox tonight, Fox Sports San Diego game three of that series uh, back at Qualcomm, first postseason game, obviously, uh, in Mission Valley in uh, 14 years, I guess, uh, at that point. How about the atmosphere that evening in that place? Well, uh, I mean, they were holding us back from going on the field. I remember that, and because the music was playing, it was they were blowing it out so loud. And 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 if you remember, the stadium had been enclosed, so I think it was close to seventy thousand people there. And throughout the playoffs, there not only that first game, but throughout the playoffs, when, when you talk to players who played in those series, the opposing teams, they still say that uh, that stadium, Qualcomm, during that '98 season, was the loudest they'd ever heard. What does that 98 run in terms of the way the city embraced that team? What does that make you feel about the way, I mean, when when this Padres team kind of makes that run, makes that push toward the contention, how the city will will embrace that playoff kind of atmosphere? Well, I, you know, there's a lot of other things to do in this city besides baseball. Uh, and, you know, we've seen that over the years. But when you put a team together that the fans can identify, they love to get behind and they start winning, they start showing up and then the atmosphere completely changes. And, uh, you know, we saw that here in that 95 through 98 run and uh, uh, the fans, we had a good solid base. But when 
and they when we started winning, they showed up. And I think you'll see the same thing here. The city's desperate to have a championship, and uh, I'd sure I'd sure like to see it happen here soon. Today, of course, would have been Ken Caminetti's 57th birthday. I feel like, Fins, I could ask you a thousand different questions about him. Uh, but one of the things that always comes up, uh, obviously, is the intensity. So let me ask you as a guy, as a teammate, the intensity on the field versus in the clubhouse. What, what's the comparison between the two? Maybe behind closed doors, you know, when there's no media around, anything like that. You know, I get to play with Ken for eight years uh, from Houston to coming over here to San Diego and there, he was always intense. There was never a, an off time unless you really knew him. Uh, and even then sometimes you question until you get that little smirk come out of him. And, uh, uh, but Ken was awesome. He'd give you the shirt off his back. You could call him at two o'clock in the morning. Ken, I need you. He wouldn't even ask why he would just be there. I and mean, that was the kind of guy he was. Um, just a great teammate. I mean, and his intensity that he brought on the field and the clubhouse, I mean, it carried over to everybody and, and uh, he made us all better. Obviously, a lot of really great seasons for him in San Diego and in Houston. Uh, but what stood out to you about that that '96 season that he had, which, in, for my money, might be the best non Tony Gwynn season in Padres history? I mean, I remember a stretch there where I think he went uh, home runs from both sides of the plate like four out of five games. It was something ridiculous like that. Uh, I mean, he could do no wrong. I mean, the defense, the defense at third base, uh, big hits, big home runs. I mean, he pretty much did everything that year. Uh, and, and that's why you get the MVP. I mean, he was that guy. I mean, it was an amazing year. Just sitting here smiling, listening to you tell the stories. And I imagine most Padre fans at home are doing the exact same thing right now. Uh, to bring us back to the present uh, for a moment, saw you, of course, in Peoria this spring, getting an opportunity uh, to be around the team. Anything stand out to you? Anything excite you uh, th- this spring, uh, which, of course, feels like it was six months ago? Well, you know, it's 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 the, the culture of winning. Uh, and you kind of saw that coming together. I mean, with the addition of Tommy Pham, uh, Grissom, uh, the way the guys were interacting uh, and the way they really were focusing on getting the little things right in spring training and all the workouts because they knew it was going to carry over to the field and challenging each other. Um, it was just it felt different and it was a nice feeling. And, and everybody, you know, unfortunately, we have the pandemic that's getting in the way of that right now. But uh, uh, I see good things coming out of this club. and. and you know, where we started in 95 when they brought us over from, from uh, Houston to here, we kind of, you know, everybody wanted to win. We kind of figured each other out. And then 96, we did it. And 98 went to the World Series. Hopefully this team, they've, they've, they've had a few years under the belt with a couple of guys and they're mixing the right guys in. And, and I think we're on the way to that path right now. You mentioned a couple of those outfielders. I'm curious about that outfield because it was going to be a different look this season with Tommy Pham, with Trent Christian. What did you see from those guys in particular that stood out to you this spring? Well, you know, with, with Tommy Pham, I mean, he's got intensity. It reminds me a little bit of Kim Caminiti. He just wants to get out there and get after it, and he wants to kick your butt every time he's on the field. Uh, with Grissom, Grissom, you kind of get somebody a little bit different. He's a little more low-key, but the guy can run. He can field. I mean, don't don't let his uh, uh, nonchalant. Uh, let you think that he's not intense and he wants to be the best he can out there because uh, the guy can pick him up and put him down. He runs good routes. He's got a great bat. Uh, uh, and he, he he has a chance to go some places. And and Will Myers over in right field, uh, you saw a new Will Myers this year in camp, and, and he was really excited to uh, uh, be the everyday guy out there and, and put up big numbers. I mean, and so I, I reminded him of uh, – uh, of uh, the 97 season, whenever we didn't trade Greg Bond and he came back and hit uh, uh, 50 homers for us. So I said, uh, your bar set high. 
Nah, that's good stuff. Good scouting reports from Steve Finley. I like that a lot. All right. I mentioned the gold gloves. I can't stop staring at the one over your left shoulder. So I think what behind you, you told me before you got two of the five uh, are displayed back there. You know, you're a, a bad man when you cannot fit all of your gold. <laughs> there they are. Yeah, they're the other three. <laughs> that's pretty special, man. That's pretty special. Great to see you, Steve Finley. Uh, great memories of uh, the 90s and uh, also really good insight on this uh, current Padre team. Stay healthy, man. Thank you for your time. Appreciate yep. it. Yep, you guys too. Hopefully we have baseball in uh, 2020. Always a treat catching up with Steve Finley. It's some very interesting things to say uh, about the Padres outfield situation. But I have to apologize to everybody because the, the best part of the conversation we had with Steve Finley came after we stopped recording that interview. AJ, we found out that during uh, quarantine, Steve Finley uh, has been baking bread, literally. That's not a euphemism or anything like that. He has uh, spent time learning to bake bread. We have some pictures that he was nice enough to send. First, the croissants. Annie, give me your opinion just on eyeball test right here. What do you make? First of all, I love that interview. You guys did a great job. I loved Finley's office. I thought that was great. Um, that baking is impressive. I mean, I would like to watch Finley do a cooking show. You know, you should do it, put it on the YouTube or something, because I can't do that. But that is impressive to see. It looks good, too. Uh, AJ, if I'm remembering correctly, he said a three-day process to do the croissants. Is that what you remember as well? Do we lose AJ? Oh, I think we lost AJ. Uh, but yeah, I think I think he said it was a three-day process uh, to do the croissants. And that's uh, I mean, a pretty... Like Jesse, those look those look legit. They don't look like the kind you just buy and you pop open the can, you know. And they no, yeah, no, that's those look like the real thing. <laughs> so that's that's pretty good. The other one though is the one that really blew my mind uh, was the sourdough. So okay, you say there's your sourdough, and it looks like a very nice loaf of bread. I'm sure it's delicious, uh, crispy on the outside, nice and soft in the, in the middle. He said, "Have you first of all, Annie? Have you ever baked sourdough?" No, I've never baked bread, period, which is, I don't know if that's sad. Have you baked bread? Uh, like maybe once or twice. Not well. It was, you know, like when you're a kid, that kind of thing. Like, that's all. Oh, there's AJ. Um, we, were, we were talking about Steve Finley's bread making. Um, and, and we were getting into the sourdough. So there's a thing, and I'm going to mess this up. I guess you have a starter for the sourdough where you have to make the thing, and then that gets part of the dough later. You have to make this starter. And so that's like a, a six-day process to get the starter going. AJ, the level of A, detail, and B, passion with which he discussed his bread making, I was like floored. I loved it. It's that of a five-time gold glove winner, you know, that kind of attention to detail and precision. No, it was it was really cool, and it was all things I didn't know. I've never baked bread or I've never even tried. I think I may try a banana bread at some point uh, during this quarantine. Who knows how much time we'll have, whether, it gets, whether we get that but um, it's really cool. It was a lot of I didn't know about about bread. That is now just I just have a greater appreciation for it. I have a friend that's uh, that has baked us sourdoughs before, and he's brought them over, and he's just kind of dropped them off. And I feel like I owe him a a bigger thanks than what I gave him. Hey, you thought he just brought over some bread, and now you realize it's something that he'd been working <laughs> on for a week. Uh, it was it was honestly like it was remarkable listening. To Finn's talk about it. Like it, he was so into it and so cool and like telling us all about how it works and how there are some sourdough starters that are a hundred years old 
and you know they get passed on from family to family that kind of stuff it was it was stellar stuff gold apron i love it gina he's got the gold gloves uh give him a gold apron as well all right so big thanks to uh steve finley and uh boy i wish uh, i wish i would have asked him about that before we stopped recording because that was stellar Fernando Tatis Jr. was back in action last night as uh, part of the Players League MLB The Show. He's playing his round-robin tournament. He went 2-2 two and two in play yesterday. We were kind of hyping up the matchup against Joey Gallo uh, because Gallo's been like almost unbeatable in this thing so far. Uh, Fernando came back late against Gallo to tie the game, but then Joey walked him off. So that was kind of a bummer. Uh, but uh, Fernando did have a big moment at Petco against the Yankees. Here's Will Myers with the bases loaded. 3-2 with the bases loaded. Oh! It's a grand... Vamanos! Let's go! Vamanos! I don't know... I don't know if there's anything, guys... Uh, I am enjoying more right now in life uh, than Fernando Tatis reacting to his uh, video game successes. Andy, he's been stellar. I can listen to his reactions on a loop all day long. And like his little singing, you know, kind of start singing and again, the moment it's, it's priceless. He, he gets the, the gold glove for reactions. He gets the winner for that because, and he's good at the game too. I mean, he's been doing well, but the reactions are the best part by far. Yeah, I want to see him reach these these playoffs because, I mean, he's already kind of – we're already getting a taste of, of on a global stage of who Fernando Tatis is, but maybe it becomes a bigger deal if he's if he's in, I guess, the quarterfinals, semifinals, whatever, down the stretch and more people are paying attention because it's cool that there's a way, even with no baseball, for Fernando Tatis' personality to be on display. And, look, he's a pretty quiet, shy guy, but you, you, you give him a competitive thing, a game to play, a game to win – and he wants to win it, he wants to beat you, and he wants to have fun doing it. And that's what he does, whether he's playing shortstop at Petco Park or sitting on his couch playing a video game. That's why we love him, or a big part of it, at least. So he got to try Joey Gallo on for size. We'll see. Like you said, maybe they meet up again in the postseason, and uh, we'll see what Fernando can do when the lights really uh, get bright. A couple more quick things to get to before we finish off this Tuesday show with AJ and Annie. Uh, Mets ownership rumors uh, kind of feel like a dime a dozen these days. Uh, it sounded like that team was going to be sold over the winter. That deal fell through after all kinds of excellent Mets drama. Uh, the latest rumor, uh, which has been there before but has popped back up again, is that A-Rod and J-Lo, or I should probably say J-Lo and A-Rod because I imagine she's worth more than he is, uh, are uh, in the mix uh, for purchasing the Mets from the Wilpon family. A-Rod has uh, never been shy about how he grew up a Met fan uh, in Miami. Uh, he was almost a Met at one point in his playing career, and that also fell through. Uh, they, as you might be able to get, do not have the money on their own to be able to purchase a major league franchise that uh, was agreed to be sold for, I think, over $2.5 billion over the winter, but they're trying to put a group together. Uh, how about this, AJ, the possibility of A-Rod owning the Mets and Derek Jeter being the CEO of the Marlins in that very same division? I love I love kind of how deep that competition runs from like when we when I was growing up in the nineties and they were they were the shortstops along with Garcia Parra and then they shared the same infield and A Rod maybe one of the best defensive shortstops I've seen had to move to third base and now if they would be in the same division I mean just just from a storyline perspective that's that's what makes this whole thing really fun. 
What kind of owner, Andy, do you think uh, J-Lo would be and A-Rod for that matter, I guess? I like it. I think they'd be, I, I think, let them take on the team. I think if you're a player, you're going to want to play when J-Lo is uh, your owner. That's so. <laughs> <laughs> one way to do it. Yeah, it's a good A-Rod. Yeah, uh, it's Jason Veritek had had enough uh, in this particular incident as memory serves. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it would definitely be that game. Tabloids, I'll say that. There's the Marlins manager, speaking of all that. Uh, Doug Mankiewicz in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the New York papers, my goodness, they already have a field day with the Mets. If you added in J-Lo and A-Rod at the ownership level, that would be, it would be dramatic. If nothing else, it would be entertaining. All right, uh, as mentioned, game three. Of the 98 Division Series airing tonight on Fox Sports San Diego, coming up in just about a half an hour uh, as uh, the Padres and the Astros come to Southern California for that game. Uh, the queue, as everybody said, man, was just absolutely rocking. Kevin Brown started game one and shoved, running back out there for game three. Jim Laritz with more postseason heroics as uh, the Padres took a 2 1 lead in that series over the Astros. Uh, more great baseball on your telly tonight. That game coming up. At seven o'clock. Big thank you to the guys from Cutwater, Earl Kite, and Yusef Cherney for joining us today. Also, Steve Finley and his bread making skills. Annie and AJ, appreciate it. Always lovely to check in with you guys. And uh, final thoughts from each of you. We'll start with Annie and AJ. Feel free to stump for both. It's your turn. I just think, you know, as this quarantine continues, yes. It stinks to not have baseball, absolutely. But I've enjoyed seeing just, like we said, parts of you know the country getting to see Fernando Tatis Jr.'s personality. We get to see Steve Finley baking. I mean, there's just been, you know, we get to see you and you and Cass put together a baseball nerd thing over the weekend. So I, I like that. I mean, I think as much as this, this does stink to not have baseball, and of course there are bigger issues going on in the country that we're all sensitive to, um, it's been fun to see people still carry on even through this show. So I think that's just what we all need to keep doing. And Jack, we don't know when baseball will be back, but you know, we're, we're pushing through as best we can. Yeah. I'll just echo what Annie said. I think there's, I mean, if you spend enough time on whatever, on whatever social media, you'll run into a few people who you just don't want to be hearing from about their opinions on what's going on right now. But for the most part, we're all in this together and we are all we all have kind of in a way, and this is from friends and family. I found a lot of people to reconnect with and to, and to just, uh, I guess, use this time to catch up with because there, there isn't the normal routine going on. I think it's important to kind of just, just know who's important and, and hold them close and, and use this time to be able to do that as metaphorically as you can. Um, and I'll close out by saying that uh, we are giving the ball to Kevin Brown to start we're using Mark Davis when you have those back-to-back lefties coming up. I think it's Klesko and Finley. And then Trevor Hoffman's closing the door. So uh, Team Casabell, I'll say four to one. What happens when we knock Brown out in the fifth inning? Wear him out. Wear him down. Team Agler. I'll take the final word on that one. Uh, thanks again to AJ and Annie, to the Cutwater guys, and uh, Steve Finley as well. We'll be back tomorrow at 5.30. Hope you'll join us. And then Don and Mud make their return to Social Hour on Thursday evening. Stay safe, everybody. Wash your hands. Imagine playing t-ball with the kids on a Sunday at Petco Park. By the way, they redid that. That looks great. They put in an artificial surface back there. That's news to me. Did not know that. Gallagher Square looking good. Have a good night. We'll talk to you tomorrow.